Children are so good at modeling the world around them. And so anytime we're pointing at the kids going, oh my gosh, and what is wrong? They're like, you know, three fingers pointing back. And, and this is the garden we're growing. And so when I think about a rude or disrespectful or entitled teenager, I think, wow, this is a person that needs to be loud because they're not heard. Um, they feel completely misunderstood and they're being treated yeah, maybe like not a person or we or they're being seen as inside of a box instead of as complex and whole and evolving and meaningful and important and purposeful and that they belong. Welcome to Raising Greatness, where we ask the questions every parent wants to know. I'm Ryan Adams, and on today's episode, we talk to the teen whisperer, Kirsten Kobabe. Kirsten specializes in helping parents navigate the waves of adolescence and restoring harmony in the home. Join us as we learn how to speak to our teens, why consequences work better than punishments, alternative education options like outdoor schools, what to do when we feel triggered by our kids, how to create a leader and not a follower, and so much more. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to talk to you today. Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, so you've been called a teen whisperer. Where did that come from? And why is it teens that you focus on helping parents um, kind of navigate the challenges of adolescence? Yeah, uh, this came about actually when I was a therapist many years ago. Uh, all the young people, all the people that were coming to my office were families, parents of teenagers and teenagers themselves. And teens actually wanted to come to my office. And so it was, it was sort of clear that there was something there. Um, that being said, I've worked with teens for so much of my life. Actually, since I was a teenager myself, I was mentoring teens and parents of teens at the age of 19. So I've kind of been able to translate that language and that uh, time in life in a way that parents can hear. And my goal is always to meet people right where they're at, of course, in a way that's like a, a, a bridge that creates a bridge for people to sort of reconnect if any of that's kind of not gone missing, but you know, when we, we need that recentering. And so that's my, that's my, uh, hope every time I'm meeting with someone. And, and I could of course talk more about my teen years and how this influenced it, but, um, I find that I'm able to really hear and feel sort of what the teen's going through as well as the parent and find that middle ground so that reconnection can actually happen. Well, I think every listener right now is is kind of thinking back to their own teenage years. And I think for every every one of us, there's always challenges in it's not easy growing up. Um, so was there something specific for you then that kind of where it became clear that this is your calling being that bridge between the parents and, and teens and just basically working with teens in general. I, for a long time. So children have been in a big part of my life for a long time. I've worked with lots of different age groups in different ways, like even a summer camp counselor and these sorts of things um, when I was younger. And I have always had just good relationships with young people. I've always had children around me during any sort of like Reiki sessions. I've had the, the, practitioner will mention that there are young people around. I mean, for those who are into woo-woo, that's just kind of an interesting piece that for me, when I, when I hear that, and then also on a more grounded approach that there's just, um, there's space, I think in our culture for young people to be heard and seen in a different way. And for a few generations now, we've sort of 
forgotten that young people are people, I think, to some degree. Um, and so we, when we come back to that, there's just so much more uh, connection and relationship possible and collaboration and partnership. Because, of course, we're finding, you know, young people are pushing back and they're pushing back, meaning just being a person with an opinion. But um, the teen years become really tricky in that because there's this it's this in-between stage. And so if we can come back to that remembering, how would I treat my friend in this moment or how when you see a young person as a, as a person, a whole being, then we remember, oh, they have feelings, they have opinions, they have um, they have their own lens. And so I've known for a long time that I'd be working with children my whole life. This is how I see myself as a um, an extra set of hands, an extra heart in the family, in the, all the families that I'm connected with. And I think that that goes back to even, I have this core belief that we're supposed to do these things in, in community and in collaboration. I don't think we're supposed to necessarily be doing this alone, or if you're lucky with another parent in a box for 18 years, <laughs> box meaning a house, without, you know, these other lenses, these other support systems in place. That's what's unnatural. <laughs> I completely agree. It, it seems, especially in, in North American culture, that it's very lone wolf in the sense of, you know, people there isn't that sense of community that there is in many other cultures and many other countries throughout the world where it's, you know, you'll see that child just be embraced and, and raised by the village. Like, and it seems like a beautiful and a natural way to grow up as opposed to we're, we're very, I guess, closed off in many ways in North America. And it just doesn't seem natural. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. And there's something, I think we might be returning to some of this out of really necessity at this point, we've kind of reached a, a point where we're seeing, Things are, I mean, people are having a hard time right now and young people too, um, in a lot of different areas. So, okay. So let's talk about that then. So what are you seeing? So you mentioned that there's been kind of a shift in the last couple of decades that teenagers are pushing back a little bit more that, I mean, every generation has its challenges. Being a teenager in general is challenging, but it seems like in this day and age with social media, with all the pressures, with all the immediacy of everything that there's unique challenges that teenagers are, are facing. What are you seeing in your practice as well as just in one-on-one -on -one working with teens as well as the parents, some of the consistent challenges that are, seem to be universal right now for, for teens? Yeah. And my work as a coach right now with families, I am seeing in almost every family I'm connected with that school and our current educational model in the States is not working for everybody. And I mean, we've known this for a long time that this there's no one size fits all. Um, that, and certainly during the teen years. And so it's, it's really tricky because it's so multifaceted and layered. And so my approach with families is, and with parents is to really just return to the moment because it's so easy to hear the complaint or the frustration, or when your teen doesn't want to go to school today and think, Oh no, like 10 years down the road, right. Instead, just coming back to now, hearing what's happening he, because if we don't do that, we're going to miss out not only on what actually is happening, we might need to help our teens with something and navigating a difficult situation. And we also miss out on like a really potent uh, relationship building moment, you know, just a connection point. Because there's, it's hard enough, I think, for anyone to be in a difficult experience, especially during this age. And then imagine being alone in that and having to prove that it's hard. Or feeling like no one understands or no one hears me or no one sees me. 
So specifically, are you seeing then the challenge? I mean, the last couple of years have been challenging for everybody. So are you seeing the reintegration of going back to physical school being a challenge? Are you are you basically suggesting that the education system as a whole needs to be revamped and just the way that kids are being taught? Like what specifically are we talking about when it comes to some of the challenges with going back to school or just being educated in general? Definitely both. There's some young people who have been It's just they've been out of it for so long that going back isn't just like a light switch. It's more, I mean, there's been a lot that's missed for some people, whether it's socially or academically. And just if we think about it, yeah, a few years, long time when you've only been alive for 15 years or 12 years or 18 years, that's a long time. And so, um, and then also, yeah, a revamp. I mean, that'd be great. We're in this place where we're now, we're still in general, every school is different in general though. We're still educating uh, youth by teaching for 50 minutes each class. These are the core classes. And this whole approach was developed in the Civil War era when we needed somewhere for kids to be because parents were going to work in factories. Before that, everyone's together working on the farm. I'm very much generalizing right now. That's not the case, obviously, for every single family. But in general, that's some of what was happening during that time period. And so now we're still in that. Kids are waking up at 6 a.m. when they need to be sleeping until 10 we would never do that to a baby. So it's it's just wild that we're kind of in this place. And I think we're waking up to it. However, these big things and these big patterns and these big systems are not easy to uh, to change. And so it's, it's not a quick fix necessarily. However, it does feel like we're time for a new approach and a new look at this. And how is it serving young people? How is it not serving young people and families and communities? One of the unique things that's happening with kind of the, I guess, the Zoom boom, if if, if that's a thing, but just, just with this more online and, and remote type of learning is, is that there seems to be a lot more private education options. Uh, recently, I just heard about, the, you know, kind of the SpaceX school. Uh, SpaceX is no longer associated with it, but I think it was called Astro something. But I looked into it a little bit and it's fantastic where they're using a lot of conundrums and just unique collaborative ways to um, to basically teach kids. And this came into in to my reality because a friend of ours, they were having a challenge with their child not going to school and not, not doing well in school, but still very intelligent. So they actually applied and he got into this, this online school. And I didn't even know something like this existed. So it's kind of cool that there is more options as opposed to just putting your kid into a certain you know school zone, driving them to a public school, and then just you know hoping everything works out. Totally. There's more options now. There's nature schools. Um, and, and for those that don't have these options for whatever the reason, or if you're a teacher listening or a parent and you're helping your teen with homework, I have uh, lots of, you know, approaches and, and kind of not tips and tricks. Cause I really just feel like it's, how do we engage in the moment with a human who's having a hard time? But we can actually do things. If we can't change the school, we can put a dollar sign in front of the numbers in a math class, or we can make it a we can turn the numbers into a equation about entrepreneurship or a farm or a clothing company or whatever's interesting to that person. Right. And we've, we're so overwhelmed, I think in this system and as people right now that we forget. And we've also been like taught out of our creativity and our curiosity and our inner gifts. And that's, it, that's what's I think at the heart of all this is these kids have their spark. They still know what they love. And we're telling them, wait till you're 18 or sit down and be quiet. And it's like, oof, we're missing such a potent moment. And then at 18, we wonder, or at 20, why they're like, eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 100%. It's okay. So, so 
there's so many different ways I can go with this. You have an interesting take when it comes to nature versus nurture. And you had mentioned a natural school. Maybe let's just talk in general what your philosophy is in the way that you see the nature and nurture debate and and what that actually means to you. And then let's talk about maybe some of the natural school or the nature schools that that you're uh, different ways to educate children. Yeah, I believe that we are no separate. We're not separate than nature. We are to nature. And that we can find so much truth in nature and also so much resonance. I mean, from spirituality to math, to art, to just being and nature teaches us. I I don't know if I could say everything we need to know, but there is no real separation. And and it's so right here and, and around us all the time. Even if you're in a city, there is a way to connect with nature and to, and to um, be inspired by nature. And even the kids that hate nature, like there's still magic in that if we can if we can meet them where they are. And so there's more nature schools popping up. And this is great because it's movement, it's fresh air, it's the natural curiosity, the innate curiosity that children have. It's like, I read this recently. It was like, if you tell a bunch of kids to run a mile, they'll be like, no. But if you just put them outside, they're going to run for an hour, you know? And so it's just like, it's really just taking this new mentality of why do we need, we don't need to direct everything. We don't need to structure everything. And yes, structure is important and some children and people need more than others. But nature also offers this. There's these natural boundaries, these natural safeties, these natural lessons. And it's not because someone's pointing a finger and shaking. It's because nature just is this and offers this to us. And we all have our own unique relationship to it. So for me personally, I grew up, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up surrounded by an 80 acre tree farm on a lake near an ocean. And I had a lot of freedom and this was super helpful for me. And then there were also some downsides because everything's a coin and there's flip side, right? So for me though, the gift was, I got to be outside a lot and I was, you know, eating dirt basically. And, and this is <laughs> Getting so, all those good antibodies, all that stuff. Right. And, and I was learning how to swim, um, in a lake with the rules of the lake and fortunately attentive enough parents, um, as well. (laughs) So we can bring a little bit of this, even again, if you're in a city, some, some form of nature, it's just the most authentic, literally natural in time way to engage with what is happening around us. And it, I think it's more and more clear now how important it is as I don't want to say nature diminishes, but nature changing and certain areas getting smaller. Um, we're really, I mean, there's plenty of studies that talk about this stuff too. I'm sure anyone listening is really, un, you know, kind of has a sense of what this is all about. And I imagine the next few years we'll see more and more kind of the results of some of these, these schools and how, you know, someone with oppositional defiant or behavioral issues and all this stuff that happens in schools, see what happens when they're outside for a day or a week. And they're learning independently because part of this is those are the leaders, right? The bullies or the behaviorally, you know, those, the kids that are having trouble behaviorally and are not listening. These are leaders. We are totally missing these opportunities. And same with the quiet ones, the more introverted young people, put them in nature, watch them bloom, watch them like draw a flower and connect with nature in a way that you would never see them to be able to connect if you call them in class randomly. And startle them. So nature has something for every one of us. And it really, I think, has a lot to offer the adults because it brings us back to being in awe of these young people instead of like they have a problem and we need to fix it. Instead of that, it's like, wow, look at them 
being themselves. <laughs> so for those um, parents that, that are interested in maybe like myself, or I'd never even like heard the idea of a, of a nature school, would we just simply just Google nature school in the city that we live in and see what pops up? Sure. Yeah. Or if there's like a meetup app or a Facebook community group or something, I think these are great places to ask. Definitely Google that and see what comes up to um, the other terms are forest school. I'm trying to think of the other terms. But yeah, things like that. And ask your neighbors. And then also the more we're doing this, the more of these will develop and and pop up um, in all different shapes and forms and sizes. Because for some people, they might need a different type of nature school you know, a more structured one. Someone might need a less structured one. So we get to design as we can, as we realize what's possible for each other, for ourselves and each other. Because we're definitely not the only ones experiencing. If, if you're out there and your kid is struggling in school, this is just, this is where a lot of people are right now. And I think for a reason. Okay, so so we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a second, but I'm just going to kind of take a step back because I know a lot of listeners like myself were, were nodding our heads as you were talking about how it seems that we're a little bit out of alignment when it comes to nature and what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. I mean, it's pretty clear that if we've been around in some form or another for about 200,000 years and we're outside all the time and it's only been in the last maybe 150 years that we've been stuck in a factory, artificial light and now in front of screens, it's not our natural state of being. And like you mentioned with all the studies with circadian rhythms, etc., it's pretty clear that that nature is very important to ground us and to just basically recalibrate us. But to that parent who has a teenager who's addicted to Fortnite, who's sitting inside, you know, having Gatorade and hyper stimulated, glued to their their cell phone and all the rest of this, what can they do in the sense of trying to get the child outside to uh, reintegrate them into a more of a holistic lifestyle? Yeah. And this is so happening too. I mean, there's a lot of people listening that I think are going, yes, what's what do I do there? And and some of it is even, and this might sound ridiculous, almost leaning into that reality. And what I mean by that is how can you sit with your teen and play that game with them, or at least sit with them without being like really mad at them in that moment. Or if you're mad, recenter, come back, you know, it's okay to feel what we're feeling. Um, but how can we be with them and want to kind of play with them just to understand what it is they're looking for? Cause when I find that I'm doing that, when I do this with young people, whether it's side by side, or I'm asking them about these games, I'm realizing they are looking for connection and joy. Mm -hmm. And so if the rest of their life is sitting in school, listening, if they're not a school person, there's some type A people, but if you're not, you're you're in school and you're sitting all day, not natural. You're listening to this monotonous, maybe just uh, information that you don't find valuable, right? It's not being presented. You're not connected to your teacher. Maybe you don't even feel connected to your peers and you come home and you're just exhausted because of how hard that experience is because that is soul crushing for that type of person. And so you come home and you're tired and you're looking for some joy and connection and Fortnite is that at your fingertips? Well, of course you will play that. Of course you will want to be on that device because been missing that all day and there's a void there. And so if we can remember that that's actually what's happening, it's not because your team wants to be addicted to video games or like in another world, it's because they're trying to, yeah, feel connected and like they belong and that they're good at something and have some fun. And if this world that we're, that we're in is so hard that they do want to go to another world, then how can we 
create a more compassionate space for them to be themselves in the home. Because guess what? The yelling that they're on Fortnite and all that stuff is more of the same thing that makes them want to disappear into that device and into that world. So like, let's play with them or even be like, can you teach me something here? And then boom, connection happens and even consciousness and awareness can kick back in. And then it's like, before you know it, you're going to, you could be going out to dinner together or taking a walk and not necessarily in that exact like 20 minutes later or anything. So it's not a quick (laughs) pick necessarily. This is how we get to open that door. Start with where someone is. We can't pull them out of it necessarily. And there might be some circumstances where that's required. And I get that I'm talking about the general, not the, not the um, extremes, but yeah. How can we be in that with them and be like, wow, realize that things are so hard that this is how they want to spend their time. Oof. What have we done? <laughs> what have we done? Yeah. What are they escaping? It's a, uh... Okay, so so can we unpack some of the common myths about teenagers? Yes, please. <laughs> Let's. So, yeah, I mean, we could start with, what's one of the easiest ones? That they're rude and entitled and disrespectful, right? These are the common ones, I think. I mean, so are so many adults. <laughs> <laughs> How do we think we got here? <laughs> Children are so good at modeling the world around them. And so anytime we're pointing at the kids going, oh my gosh, and what is wrong? They're like, you know, three fingers pointing back. And, and this is the garden we're growing. And so when I think about a rude or disrespectful or entitled teenager, I think, wow, this is a person that needs to be loud because they're not heard. Um, they feel completely misunderstood and they're being treated yeah, maybe like not a person or we, or they're being seen as inside of a box instead of as complex and whole and evolving and meaningful and important and purposeful and that they belong. And so I kind of love those, um, you know, I love those experiences with young people if they're rude. I, I very rarely have them actually because I just don't see people, people young, uh, I don't see young people that way. And so it doesn't really happen. Um, but if we think that's how they're going to be, well... <laughs> It's usually what we get. And if we're actually um, trying to impose respect, then we're not being respectful. Same with gratitude. If we're, if we're like you, you know, you need to be grateful. We're not being grateful. So again, it's like, what is this mirror game? And the more we can really understand that that's what's happening, then we can really engage from an authentic place. And so recognizing too, in those, in those moments where they're rude or they're talking back, actually, this is a conversation. It's developmentally appropriate for this person to say, no, I don't like that. No, that's not a good time for me. No, I don't agree. This is appropriate. They're actually building their autonomy and interdependence. And it's an important skill to have in the world. And so many of us grew up not being able to say no, or I don't agree. And so we don't want to go from one end all the way to the other, which is what we're seeing now. We actually want to live somewhere in the middle where there's room for this where we can have these conversations, we can unpack this stuff instead of going back and forth like we do in so many ways as humans, the right and the wrong, the black and the white. Instead, how can we live in the middle and have space for the experience that's happening before us? So for that parent right now, that's 
experiencing backtalk from, from their teenager. And you're saying that this is a, um, a healthy and natural way for them to start understanding their, their autonomy and, and boundaries. But if it's coming across as being rude, I know that there's, you know, we've all been in a grocery store or in the mall and you just see some kid, even a toddler, let alone a teenager, that's just rude to their parents. And we're shocked. What can that parent do? Um, it sounds like f- the first step is really self-awareness as to what it is that is in them that that's passed on this behavior or what they're modeling. But maybe let's just say a parent is right there right now who just had an episode, a tantrum or some back talk from a teenager. What can they do now? How can they how can they right the ship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, recentering, or, and even if you're not centered, recognizing you're upset. And just being real about that. Because there's a lot of talk about being centered and being centered and being steady in the storm. And yes, for sure. However, not always able to do that. We're all learning how to self-regulate. A lot of us are learning it late in life because, again, we weren't taught this, not taught in school. Um, Nature teaches this. Our relationships teach us this. And so we're learning it now. And so if we're mad, I'm mad. Okay, owning that and recognizing that. And then we can either pause for a few minutes or we can just put that away for later And yeah, sometimes it's responding with this freaking sucks or like, yeah, this is, this is hard. Got it. Cause isn't it okay for things to be hard and isn't it okay for a young person to be learning how to self-regulate and, and they need co-regulation for that. So if someone's rude, imagine your teenager's rude, they're like, screw you. Or like, I hate my teacher, whatever the thing is, or they're in the, they're in public being rude can't meet them in that rudeness necessarily. Yes, we might need to meet them in intensity sometimes to really just be in that. I don't mean that in a mean way, but just like really honoring that it's a hard moment. Um, we can't, but we can't necessarily be rude back or put a cap on that. We've been putting a cap on anger and frustration forever, for so long, probably that amount of time that you were saying 150 years, right? Before that, we might've been a little more aware of what anger was, that it's fire, that it's courage, that it's focus this determination and now we're putting we're just trying to like cover it pretend it doesn't exist cap it and it's like it's gonna come out and so when we when we see it how can we greet it and realize there's probably a reason for that they're tired they're stressed out something happened at school their boyfriend broke up with them whatever there's something there and even if they don't know how can we be compassionate for the fact that there's energy moving through them and that that's a natural human thing. And we're actually here to hold space as the adults who hopefully have learned how to do some co- some self-regulation and emotion, emotional regulation over the years. How do we hold space in that? And it doesn't mean your teenager can just be horrible and like horrible to everyone. We can have boundaries with love, with compassion, with awareness and with intention. As I'm hearing this, when you're saying hold space, I'm assuming that that's predicated on the idea that you have to have a certain amount of an ego death before, because I found in my own self that, for example, I I had a puppy before I had a a child and it's a wild dog. It literally is like a wild dog from the streets of Sri Lanka, gets like this mohawk when it sees other dogs, like it's feral basically, but I love her. She's amazing. Smartest dog ever, healthy, beautiful, beautiful dog. But when she doesn't listen to me, all of a sudden, I feel that anger rise up in me because my ego gets triggered. It's like, who are you not to listen to me? You know, I'm the alpha. You should be listening to me. And I and I know in that space, as my ego gets triggered, there's no way I can hold space to meet the animal or the child where they are and where they need to be. So how can we how can we develop ourselves to be able to hold space for the little creature that needs us to hold space for them? 
so many ways. And the way that just comes through in this moment is actually holding space for our little one, like our inner little one. Have we done that? Because a lot of us didn't experience that as young people from our parents. They, a lot of our parents didn't know how to go, Ooh, this is hard. I'll sit with you. Right. We've gone from, it's no big deal. What's the big deal to let me fix it for you maybe. And now we're really realizing that middle road is I'll be with you in this. And so have we done that for ourselves and the part of us that hurt as a teenager or was scared as a five-year-old or had to grow up too fast or whatever, whatever it was, have we done that yet? Because this is a really great place to practice. And this might sound a little woo-woo for some people, but it's becoming more and more, um, I think, common to talk about this, this part of us inside that, and this is what the healing talk is all about, right? And the ego death stuff is like, what have I been through and how, where is it still in me? And so these triggers being our treasures and not, it doesn't mean it's not toxic positivity, like, you know, be grateful for every trigger and all this stuff, but there is treasure in that. If we can be present enough and show up and hold space for the little us inside of us, because they are there. Otherwise we wouldn't have a trigger. We wouldn't be so upset because our teen said no, or I hate my teacher or screw school or I'm not going. And sometimes the other piece that's coming up is that part of us might be trying to protect them from maybe what would have happened to us if we talked back or said no. And that's still wrapped up in that inner child stuff. We're like, or maybe it's like not fair that they can say no when we couldn't say no. Or, you know, it's like now I'm doing the, I'm doing the healing work for myself for, cause my parents didn't even give it to me and my kid and they don't even realize how good they have it. You know, all that stuff, all that story, all that story. And they're really just a person who's had X amount of years on this planet and their own unique lens and their own experiences. And actually a lot of the times we're walking around and we don't even know what that is. So one of my favorite questions is often not necessarily in a tantrum moment or a talkback moment, but sometimes where it's like, what's it like for you? And listening. I don't know any human that's upset and getting loud and tantruming that feels really, really heard. <laughs> and, and this age is all about getting to know oneself. And so, yeah. Do we know ourself, our inner self? Do we know ourselves now? And do we know this teenager before us that we're, that we're raising, that we're collaborating with or walking by their side? Do we know them? Have we asked them? And are we able to see them not just with our eyes or listen to them, their ears, but are we able to really do that with our hearts? And that can be really hard for some of us. One of the things that's coming to mind for me right now is, is that there seems to be, if you're not providing the resistance, then it's a natural way to, to diffuse a situation. So for example, I remember hearing this years ago that customer service 101 is when you have an upset client or customer, you never fight them on it. You never, you never question them on right away. You take responsibility, you apologize, and you just diffuse instantly diffuse the situation by not creating that resistance or, the, or something for them to push back against. And it sounds like what you're saying with creating space by getting down and, you know, saying, well, what's it like for you? Either verbal verbally or, or internally, you're eliminating any sort of resistance that kind of increases the situation or, or you're, you're taking all the fuel out of the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Am I correct in, in interpreting it this way? I mean, that's such a great example. 
And I think within this, for those who are like, that's just enabling and bad behavior, because this is the argument, right? This is what people come back with is, even though it works so well in customer service, there's still this part of this like, wait, it's enabling, this is bad and wrong. That's part of our indoctrination and patterning that we all received from behaviorless parents, as my friend, Dr. Vanessa LaPointe often says, and it was all about behavior. And so now it's like, I think what we forget is when we do that, we actually not only diffuse, but we create connection and rapport. And then also we figure out more information. If there is something like the, if there is something out of alignment or something, we can kind of hold back and go, well, what about this? You said this, then we can do that too. Right. Cause it's not just about agreeing and being like, yep, you're right about everything and just yell at me and it's fine. But if we go, mm, wow, how hard I see what you're saying. And then you can start asking questions that are clarifying. And then there's this, then you get more information. Actually, you can come to this agreement and you can even hold up the mirror and go, wait, I'm confused. You said this. And we can do that too, but not without all the other pieces or else that's the argument. That's when it's an argument. I love that. Holding up the mirror to their own argument so that they can kind of realize what they're saying and maybe the absurdity of it. Uh, it makes sense. It seems that you're very big on allowing teens and, and I'm assuming just people in general to feel their feels. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I know that that's been pretty much what we've been talking about, but like, why is it okay to feel the feels and how, how does that not lead to play devil's advocate here? How does that not lead to enabling bad behavior where they realize that if they throw a tantrum or, or if it's, you know, counterproductive behavior, they get mommy or daddy's attention, which just enables them and creates this, this perpetual kind of cycle of acting out to get attention. I, I, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm realizing that if you allow them to feel the feels and they wouldn't do that, but maybe let's just talk about it. Let's talk <laughs> about that a little bit. Experience. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's that, there's that too. It's like, if we have the environment where that's the norm, then yeah, there's less likely to be these big outbursts. Again, if the, if it brings you back to even the, the bully or the like child of the behavioral issues, if, if they're allowed to sort of have their personality, but channeled in the right way, then there isn't, there aren't those issues. It's actually a leadership and it's, it's all this beautiful stuff. And so, okay. So feeling the feels basically we need to have, this is where authenticity and boundaries come in. It's not about being fake and being like, "Mm, oh yeah, you know, and all this stuff. No, it's about being like, again, recognizing, am I triggered and just like owning this and being really, and just aware of what's going on in us is really important. So we'll bring that awareness to the table. And then also boundaries. It's like, we, we got to have those too. And so it's, it's like, yes, this is so freaking hard, whatever you're going through. Oh my gosh. And just really being in that and feeling it deeply with our heart and knowing that we have that capability. That's the other part here. Okay. We need, like, we need our own practice of how much we can feel if we're going to hold space for our kids, big feelings and, and that we can do it together. And it's actually better when we do it together. And then boundaries. Sometimes we can say, wow, right now, I wish I could be with you in this. I'm going to go take five minutes and come back. And so it's not just leaving. You've got a plan. You can come back or it's like, Hey, I actually feel like we're both so heated right now and I don't want either of us to say something we're going to regret. So I'm going to just go over there and we can reconnect tonight because we don't want to be in a place where necessarily our teen is just like uh, saying all kinds of things that they're going to feel bad about later. That's not a great pattern to be in either. 
And so it's really tricky to kind of summarize it because it's so, it's so unique to the family and the dynamics. Um, and how much can you hold um, of what your teen is going through? It depends on, you know, are they swearing at you? Are they blaming you for everything? And how to even recognize that some of that, as hard as it might sound, is actually their best way to differentiate, to separate from their parents, because that has to happen in these teen years too. So sometimes these disruptions are even important steps for this young person to really blossom into who they are as an adult. And it seems kind of strange. It doesn't really make sense sometimes, but it's like, there's this divorce almost that has to happen of I'm me. I'm not your kid anymore. Right. I'm me, but it's really, I'm both, but sometimes this happens through conflict. And that's where we can remember that, Oh, this is a moment in time. This is a developmental stage. We can actually stay connected through this conflict. It's just going to look a little different. It might be quality over quantity now that they're older. And it might take me understanding this developmental stage to be able to hold space for those tough moments and know that this is some of what they have to do to move into the next phase of their life and who they are. So that was a really yeah. kind of long circular answer. No, well, well said. No, <laughs> very well said. Okay. So setting boundaries is important. Holding space is important. Most of the listeners right now were punished in some way. They were grounded, something got taken away, there was some sort of corporal punishment or discipline that was instilled. What is your take then when a child has really exceeded the boundaries, has really stepped out of line, what do we do? Do we discipline? Do we create some sort of punishment? What is, what's your idea when it comes to actually that extreme case where maybe more than just holding space and talking is in order, if at all? Mm. Yeah. I mean, at first my mind and heart were thinking about, and as someone who spent time working in as an intern in our, uh, like our prison system in this, in our country, um, like it doesn't, it doesn't seem as though that's working if we kind of look <laughs> at them similarly, which I know they're different. However, there's some similarities and it doesn't seem to be working or going very well. So, um, like we have more people in prison. <laughs> than ever. And so we're, this is decades of this punishment approach. And so punishment is, I think, you know, consequences make more sense. And again, this is where nature comes in. Nature offers consequences. If we step on a slippery rock, a log without awareness, we might fall off into a river with a bunch of rocks. The, this is, this is where nature steps in. And if we had more of that approach, natural consequences make a lot more sense. They're relevant and they're, they're not cruel in the way that sometimes punishment can feel because for parents listening out there, your teen still deeply cares about how you see them, how you treat them and their relationship, even though it may not seem like it. And this is of course true for little ones. We know they look up to us, their parents as like, almost like holy. And then teenage years, they kind of wake up and go, Oh, you're just a regular person with all these like messy things. And I have to deal with you and you have to deal with me. And so part of this is how do we go back to what it's really about, which is connection. If, if your kid is like constantly just having a hard time or talking back or breaking all these rules or getting into trouble, what is missing here? So in, when we take, when we keep taking things away, it just is like this shame blame game. But when we lean in and go, oh my gosh, like this is the this is the reality and these are the choices. And we wonder what's missing here, whether it's in their life or in our connection or in our home. There might be 
a little crack where we can find some light. <laughs> so we know that when people feel connected and people feel inspired by and, re- and respect and just, you know, have appreciation for someone like a role model, they will be influential. They'll be influenced by that person. This is for better and worse, right? Because there's some role models we're like, oh no. But if we can be someone that our child looks up to and knows cares about them, therefore cares about us, it's a lot more of a dance rather than a um, just a conflict from the start. And so, yeah, if your kid's breaking curfew, if your kid's failing out of school, they don't want to be. That's not necessarily what they want to be doing. They don't want to be arguing with you or fighting with you they are probably feeling lost and scared and disconnected and trying to find their way. So if we look at it through that lens, there's more solution in that. If we look at it through the other lens, if they're just bad, then yeah, what are we left with? Oh, I raised a bad kid. They're bad. They shouldn't have anything. Everything's a privilege. It becomes very transactional. And my friend Allie Payne talks a lot about, do you want it to be transactional or transformational? And so the transformational is all about relationship and understanding the developmental stage. Beautiful. Why is it more important that our teens learn to listen to their inner voice as opposed to external voices, including our own? Yeah, this is such a big one right now, of course, because there's a lot of information, you know, coming at experiences, information in all kinds of shapes and forms and more than ever, right? Especially with technology, it's just everything's available at the fingertips which is great when it's used as a tool. Um, When not, it's just overwhelm and um, a lot of conflicting messages. And so part of it, yeah, teens listening to their inner voice is going to be critical because they're eventually not going to have their parents in the same house as them or by their side. Um, Might be a phone call away, but adulthood is about, yeah, standing on our own two feet when we can and asking for support too, of course. Um, but there's a lot of circumstances where teens are going to have to make a decision in the moment or feel into what their truth is. And so much of school, this is kind of my issue with school. And I went to school forever. I have a master's degree, all that stuff. Like I know some of the benefits, but also what's not helping is pulling people, as I spoke before about away from their spark, their truth, what's what's interesting for them, moving their body, eating when they want, going to the bathroom when they want. Like these are the things that are happening in the schools here in the States. And like, don't ask that question or um, that it's all about the marks and the external stuff. We're literally teaching people to not listen to themselves and their interests and what their gift is here. Because we all have one. We are here on purpose And we are missing so many opportunities for young people to bring that because we're saying, shh, be quiet, sit down, stop, no. Instead of like, ooh, tell me more. Oh, interesting. What do you think? And so the more we can ask these reflective questions and listen, um, the more they will actually learn to go in and ask these questions for themselves and maybe even their friends because it feels so good. (laughs) Once we like start on this train, it's like, wow. Because you can feel actually connection happening right before your eyes. You know, I've had parents say to me, it's as if my kid was waiting for someone to ask them this. What do you think? What's it like for you? And so that's what we get to do. It doesn't cost anything. It's really just about doing it the right time when you feel it. 
seeing those opportunities. And that's why that being present and aware stuff matters so much. Cause we're just like a robot going through the motions. We're going to miss all those moments. And some of the biggest ones I have to say are when your kid is like, I hate this instead of like your teacher probably didn't mean it or your friend, it'll probably be over tomorrow or whatever the thing we try to do to make it better. These are the, these are such powerful moments to go, ah, oh, swear with them, get upset with them, like be in it. It's okay. Like they're human. They're going to be pissed about stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll bring it to you because you're their safe person, even through all the mistakes that have been made. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's so true. And it's, uh, it, it's, I, I remember hearing uh, a while ago that there was a, a Tibetan way of parenting, which was, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but the first five years are basically you treat them like a king. So you don't really say no. You just kind of direct them if they're doing something dangerous. But it's all about just exposing them to as many things as possible. Mm -hmm. The next five years, ironically, is to treat them like a slave. Get them responsibility. Give them structure, discipline. Let them understand causation and consequences, all the rest of that. And then we start getting into the teenage years. And, you know, from 10 to 15, it's you're treating them as a parent, which is like you're giving them the structure and discipline. And then finally, from 15 to 20, you're just basically their friend. Because at that stage it's all set. I mean, whatever you could have done, you've done. Their personality is set. And as you're saying this, it, it really does kind of um, take me back to that understanding, which is at a certain stage, your your teens do need a friend. They need a parent always, but they, they need a friend. And at a certain mm -hmm. stage, they do need to be able to make mistakes, listen to their inner voice, and just be allowed to be an independent thinker. Because as you've alluded to many times, that's where leadership comes from. That's where the innovators, it's, it is that leadership, which is trusting yourself. Yeah, what could be more powerful? Screw algebra grades. Really, if we look at it, just if we really can dive into what you were just sharing into our heart space, what matters at the end of all this and what matters throughout all of this? And I get it if you're going to, if your dreams are Ivy League school, Ivy League school is a different story. You may have to get perfect everything. And that's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking about really what matters in this life, this one, potentially one precious life, and this person before you who you're here with. I mean, and, and remember the awe that you saw when they were a baby doing nothing to prove themselves to you. Nothing. In fact, they were like pooping in their pants and like throwing up on your shoulder every day. And it's like, oh, you know, and so teenagers are going through not that phase, but a messy phase like that, where it's like messing up, taking risks. And, and the way to like, to help them not fall too far down is to prepare them, be with them on their journey so that they can have that discernment, take their time responding, all this like quick response, immediate stuff, high grades. It's just like pressure, pressure, pressure. And we wonder why so many teens are collapsing and just like exhausted again, back to video games. So yeah, I love that setup. And I love looking at, um, yeah, Buddhist traditions and Native American cultures. How did we do this then? The, the child did not have to prove they were supposed to be here. We knew they're supposed to be here. We held them together. Like, wow, we're so happy you're here. This is my understanding, at least. I don't want to speak to any cultures that I'm not a million percent aware of, but I'm speaking kind of generally of how we as cultures and communities have held each other in the past and how we can do this now, or at least remember how to 
I think a lot of this is intuitive in, in the sense that uh, you don't need to be an expert, but you can just uh, kind of going back to tapping into your own intuition, what just feels more in alignment, what just feels like a better way of either raising a child or, or interacting with a, with a teen or even yourself. I mean, there's just certain intuitive ways that are almost, uh, they don't need to be justified. So yeah. I'm going to end it on this. Um, Kirsten, how do we raise great teens? <laughs> we remember that they're great. And when we see them through that lens, it might look different than if we see them through, they need to become great. So it's, it's switching our lens and our perspective. And yeah, maybe it's asking, what's this like for you? Wow. Wonderful. For those parents that would like to learn a little bit more about just what you offer, some of the coaching that you do, uh, how to get in touch with you. What's, what's the best way for parents to do that? Yeah, you can find me at kirstencobabe.com or at kirstencobabe on Instagram. And I offer one half hour free call for every family. So that's my way of um, opening doorways for people. And there's no um, obligation to continue, but that's my way of yeah, honoring us all as a family here. And that this is a unique time to be growing up and to be raising a young person. Wonderful. Well, it's pretty clear that your heart is open and that you uh, you know how to hold space for people, which I think uh, parents and teens need right now. So yeah, wonderful. Kirsten, thank you so much. Really do appreciate your time. It was wonderful having you on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.